Hey friends, welcome to another edition of our Law and Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways. Good to be here with you again as we seek to discover God's two words found for us in all of the scriptures. Usually the scriptures that we look at are passages taken from the upcoming Sunday's various lectionary texts, whether it be the Psalm or the Epistle or the Old Testament text. And we're going to do that very thing again today, looking at one of the texts from this upcoming Sunday. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into there. Uh, so first of all, I want to look at just briefly all the different passages for this Sunday, this sixth Sunday of Easter. And if I could sort of summarize what they all have in common, they all teach the theme that God so loved the whole world, indeed, that God is in pursuit of everyone. So in Psalm 98, you have this wonderful line, the Lord has made known his salvation, and who has he revealed it to? He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of of the nations, thus the picture of mild stomping grounds, or at least near mild stomping grounds of the United Nations building, which represents all the nations. Indeed, God's heart is to bring his gospel, his good news to everyone, to all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, as the book of Revelation points out so much, not to, not to mention the prophet's constant prediction of such a thing. And then you have 1 John 5, verses 1 through 8, and there's a lot in there about loving our neighbors and being obedient to the commands of Jesus. But one of the lines in there in verse 1, right at the beginning, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, has been born again, as Bob Dylan once sang about being himself. This is indeed the point that everyone who believes, no matter where they're from, would have access to the kingdom of God and be born again. And then there's the gospel text, which in many churches will be preached on this Sunday, and that's John 15, 9 through 17. And in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. He's speaking to the apostles and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Illustrated so wonderfully for us by the Danielson family band with his fruit of the spirit sort of decoration that he wears on top of his head. Yes, he does actually wear this in concert sometime. You can check it out in that very movie, Daniel Sin, a family movie, if you're so inclined. It's sort of indie rock music, but I digress. Anyhow, so the passage we're going to look at today is the passage from the book of Acts, because there's not an Old Testament passage. There is indeed a passage showing the early goings of the church in light of the risen and ascended Christ. And in that passage, we're going to see that the fruit that Jesus said his apostles would produce by abiding in him will come from preaching. Yes, there will be fruit that comes of obedience and fruit that comes of love for neighbor. That's all true. But also there will be fruit in preaching in that it will, it will make new Christians. It will cause others to be born again. In other words, the proclamation that everyone has been forgiven on account of Christ is what they're sent out to do. So that is what we're going to see in the passage. And the first thing we're going to note, because God wants everyone to be saved, we're going to see pretty clearly that that means there's no favoritism with God. God doesn't play favorites because, well, favoritism, as the meme so elegantly puts it, sucks. You know, I, I suppose there's a more elegant way of putting it, but you get the point. Uh, no one likes to see favoritism going on. 
A little context to the passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus sort of gives his mission statement, his mandate for the church. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So beyond anywhere that you've gone before, you're going to bring it to everyone. And as we know, if you look at sort of a survey of the early goings of the church in the book of Acts, the apostles were a little slow going on the ends of the earth part of that equation. They didn't move very quickly on that, and so the Spirit runs ahead of them and reaches out to the Gentiles via visions. You can find that just before our passage in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And the Spirit also has to sort of knock Peter around a little bit to give him a vision to compel him to preach to the Gentiles. He uh, shows in this vision, Peter, all of these different animals, and he says, you can eat them. And Peter objects, well, so there's some unclean here and there's some clean. And the spirit says, God says, what I have called clean, don't call unclean anymore. Go ahead, get up and eat. And the point of it is leading Peter to not only see that there's no more dietary laws, which is indeed true, but also that, that, that applies to people as well, that it's not just the people of Israel that are eligible for this salvation, but that it's people from all over the world. And so, so with that having happened, now Peter is going to be sent out to proclaim the good news to the people. Now, I do find it fascinating, and I think it's important to note that in this passage, it's abundantly clear, the Spirit uh, reveals uh, truths to Gentiles by visions, and yet the Spirit insists, God insists, that a preacher be sent to proclaim the message to the people. Why? Because God always works in connection with his word. This is getting into the realm of what we call the means of grace. God works through things. He works through his word, works through baptism. He works through the Lord's Supper, connected with his word always. But God works through means in order to bring about his grace to people. And so Peter is going to be the mouthpiece through which that word comes that brings the life-saving gospel to the Gentiles in our passage, uh, most notably by the name, uh, led by the, the name of Cornelius, led by a guy named Cornelius. So the preacher right off the get-go has a revelation. Peter has a revelation as he's speaking to this Gentile audience, but maybe perhaps not enough of one yet, and you'll see what I mean. Verse 34 and 35 to bring it, begin our passage in Acts 10, Acts 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the revelation that Peter has accepted is that indeed, uh, this is meant for everybody. He's, he's on board with that. And yet I will say, I, I do find it a little odd that even though Pi Peter does see that aspect, he still seems to think that it only applies to, quote, those who do what is right. In other words, they are the ones that are eligible to receive this message. In fact, what we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Acts as salvation history continues to unfold is, of course, the gospel is for everyone who hasn't done what is right, too. Because in truth, no one has done what is right perfectly. No one has met the standard we ought to meet. And so everybody needs the forgiveness of sins that the gospel brings. And indeed, 
to be fair, Peter does proclaim that very message, even though he might not have all the info just as of yet. He does proclaim that message to the people. And so first he said he tells them who Jesus is and what he has done. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, excuse me, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Well, that really is, in a nutshell, the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is who Jesus is and what he has done. But it's not exhaustive. It, the, the important aspects are hit here, though. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and what will be alluded to soon is the ascension of Jesus. But these are the elements. And yet I will say that it's possible to preach this sort of historical data and not get to the big thing, not get to the gospel. Because not yet, anyway, has Peter said that this all is done for you. The gospel takes what we hear right in this passage right here and applies it to people, applies it to real flesh and blood human beings in our midst. And so that is what Peter is going to do next. He's going to describe what Jesus will do and what he delivers. Verse 42 and 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people. And to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That's that allusion to his ascension. That he's at the right hand of God. That he's going to be the one that God has appointed to judge all people. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. And now you're getting to the more specific content of the gospel. Yes, Jesus did all this, but what was the end goal? What was the aim? The forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of all who believes sins for all time. That's the point. And so you have this sort of remarkable juxtaposition here in this passage, where on the one hand, you have Jesus being presented as judge, which frankly, if one's in their sins, is quite fearful, quite scary. And yet on the other hand, we're told that he's the one that will grant forgiveness. And all of that reminds me of a judge that I've come across on YouTube, who I guess has gone viral a little bit, named Judge Frank Caprio. And what Frank Caprio is uh, famous for, so to speak, is, well, he's kind of known for being more compassionate than the average judge. Indeed, He's the kind of judge that all of us might, might wish to come across whenever we've broken the law on what, for whatever reason, whether it be speeding or parking tickets or something worse. And so I figured rather than describe him to you, I might as well just, well, introduce you to him with a little clip that NBC News put on a while back. Check it out. 
In Judge Frank Caprio's courtroom, people seek absolution for their traffic sins. Are you ready to confess? I am. I feel like this is confession. A court where common sense rules, like when you park just one minute before it's legal. 9.59 is close enough to 10. <laughs> Matters dismissed. Thank you. I don't wear a badge under my robe. I'm not a police officer. I wear a hat under my robe. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. His courtroom videos now viral, showing his compassion for the broke and brokenhearted, like this woman struggling after the death of her son. I'll leave you with $5. I'm not going to leave you with $5. I'm going I'm to dismiss everything. A city official once came to Caprio, worried about lost ticket revenue. My response was, I'm not a revenue enhancement officer, I'm a judge. Caprio has a soft spot for defendants' kids. So what did you have for breakfast this morning? So I'll charge a zero if she buys you breakfast. They sometimes help with tough decisions. I can charge him $30 or I can charge him nothing. What do you think I should do? 30 <laughs> There is just one rule. But I don't like when people lie to me. I want to hear what their problem really is. Tell the truth and you'll get a break. Maybe a hug. <laughs> And at the very least, a reason to smile. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Providence, Rhode Island. NBC News fans, thank Well, there you have it, folks. That's a little clip from a man who has erred on the side of grace and on the side of compassion, even though he's in the position to condemn and, and to judge. And, uh, you know, it's refreshing to see that. And, you know, although the picture of this judge is not perfectly aligned with Jesus by any stretch, I'm not suggesting that, you get the point that Jesus, although he is the righteous judge that will judge everybody according to the bar of perfection, is also the one who wins grace for us and extends his mercy to us, wiping away all of our sins. Even more than that, imputing to us the righteousness we so desperately need to stand before a holy God. So with that, with that illustration out of the way, what we really see as we wrap up this passage is God once again reiterating to Peter and to the apostles and to the entire church, yes, 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 I really mean it. I want everyone. And he does that by sending the Spirit upon them. The Spirit drops in on the party. Just in case it wasn't clear, now read this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They had thought it was just for them. No, no, it goes beyond them. It goes beyond your clique. It goes beyond your club. It's for everyone. I meant it. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So they've even been granted this, this spiritual gift in the moment to speak in foreign languages the praises of God and, of course, Peter and the rest of the crew that are with him are flabbergasted. They're blown away because, indeed, God is showing them that this gospel is literally meant for all people. And so what does Peter say? Well, exactly what I want him to say. I love it. Get them baptized. Stat. Don't waste any time. No, no, we don't have time for membership classes. We don't have time to instruct them in all the different things. Get them baptized. Verse 46, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of, the, in the name of Jesus Christ. That is shorthand for the triune name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then they asked him to remain for some 
days. And so what Peter does immediately to these Gentiles who had been sort of excluded is he's saying to them in their baptism, you are one of us, and in your baptism, I am giving you that very forgiveness of sins that I just told you comes in the name of Christ. I'm going to give you the thing you need to stand before God because that's what God wants for everyone to be a part of his kingdom. And so where do we see the law in this passage and where do we see the gospel as we wrap up today? Well, of course, just even hearing that Jesus will be judge of the living and the dead, in other words, that you will stand before him, indeed is a word of law. It could be seen as a, as a, it is a word of glorious truth, but nevertheless, when we think about our imperfections and we think about our sins, the thought of standing before God and having to hold, give account of our lives can be absolutely frightening. Indeed, it's kind of meant to be for sinners. And yet the gospel comes in again with the good word that Jesus is a friend of ours as Sunseed in the 70s so aptly proclaimed. Why? Because as Peter goes over with them, Jesus lived, Jesus healed while he lived in this life, in his ministry. Jesus was crucified. Jesus rose again from the dead. Why did he do it? For the forgiveness of, and here's the big idea, everyone's sins, even yours. And that is the good news we hang our hat on again today. Well, I pray that you've been blessed by our time looking at God's word, looking at God's two words of law and gospel. I hope you have a great rest of the week, and I look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. God bless.